0: Good evening, second students. Welcome to live. I am glad you're here. And uh, this evening we get to tackle what's probably one of the most controversial religions in this day and age. We get to tackle Islam. Not only is it one of the most controversial, but it's probably one of the most misunderstood religions. And this, this is why I say that, because for me, for the longest time, I, unlike most of you all, I was alive for September 11, 2001. And so, I remember seeing those planes crash into the two buildings. And for the longest time in my life, that was Islam. Terrorism equaled Islam. Terror- Islam equaled the, the religion that caused me, every single time I went through an airport, simply because I had a beard, I got pulled aside for an advanced search. Every single time. And so, tonight, I want to help you all understand a little bit more. About what do Muslims actually believe? Because I want to I set up one thing right off the bat. Muslim or Islam does not equal terrorism. Yes, their beliefs lead to that sometimes. But the foundation of their beliefs is not terrorism. Okay? So, first off, I want to start out with where did, where did this religion come from? Where was it founded? When was it founded? It was founded by a guy named Muhammad. We've all probably heard of Muhammad. It was founded in the year 610 A.D. in a town in Saudi Arabia called Mecca. And Muhammad had become fed up with the the ways of life that, that were surrounding him. And so, he began to receive what he believed were revelations from Allah, which Allah, is literally the Arabic word for God. And so, as Christians, this is another obstacle that, that we have for sharing Jesus and, and, and God the Father with Muslims. Is that in order to do so, we have to, we use the same exact word. No, 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 not, not Allah, but but Allah. It, 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 it creates a great gap, a very, very large obstacle to identifying it. He began to to receive these revelations that he wrote down. And he wrote them down, and they became the first half of what we now identify as the Quran. But his religion faced some obstacles. There were some things that he wrote down that the people in Mecca had an issue with. Because remember, this all started because he disagreed with them. So, therefore, the things that he received from Allah also disagreed and contradicted what they believed. So, he began to to be persecuted a little bit, and eventually left Mecca and went to a town a little bit further north called Medina. And in Medina, he took these same teachings that he had in Mecca, and he took them to the people of Medina, and they, they kind of got behind it a little bit. They were like, yeah, you know what? That's true. Absolutely. Yeah, we can believe that. We can believe that that Allah, the one true God, has revealed this to you. And so, they got behind Him, supported Him, and eventually He built up a large following and they went back to Mecca. And in a very aggressive and slightly hostile situation, they won the city of Mecca over to Islam. Now I've talked a little bit about Allah. God, this one supreme being that they worship. This is kind of the, the foundation of what everything else within Islam flows out of, is this idea of Allah. He's the one true God. He's a supreme over everything. He is the only thing worthy of worship. He is the ruler of paradise, or as we would know it, heaven, or call it heaven. And he essentially gets to decide who gets into paradise and who doesn't. So everything within the Islamic faith revolves around this idea of one day hopefully getting admitted into paradise. And the only way that you can do that is to do enough and to, to earn enough and to bring Allah enough honor. That he is pleased with you. You can think of a set of scales and balances. One side is going to outweigh the other, always. And for people of the Islamic faith, those two sides of that scale are honor and shame. And we as Americans have a really hard time wrapping our head around this because that's not the way our culture works. We don't operate on honor versus shame. We operate on what can bring us the most pleasure or what can bring us the most gain. And then occasionally, if we do something wrong, we'll feel guilty. So we don't operate on honor and shame, we we operate on reward and guilt. And so this is something that for me was really difficult to wrap my mind around. But fortunately for me, um, and fortunately for us, we have someone who is on our staff here who spent three years living and ministering to Muslims. And Amanda actually is the person I'm talking about. She spent those three years living life with, doing life with, sharing Jesus with those Muslims and and hoping to reach them for Jesus. And so, she's going to help us understand a little bit more about how an honor-shame-based culture works.
1: So, like Dylan said, um, they do… Sure, scales a lot because I think for us it's a little bit easier to wrap our minds around that because we know what like the checks and balances kind of is. But it really is um, everything revolves around and points to bringing honor to your family, to your father, and to Allah. And um, and if you're not doing that, you're being like you're bringing great shame upon your family, and it's really hard. Um, and if I had some friends that. Would often like tell me, like, oh, well, I brought shame. Like, and these were like the words that they would use, and they were like, yeah, I did something really shameful. And I was like, for us, like, that's really, when you hear that, you're like, oh my, you did something shameful? Like, what happened? You know, she's like, I didn't, I missed, you know, I didn't say prayers this day, and I like really shamed my family. And I was, oh, okay. Like, I'm thinking you murdered someone, but yeah. That's great. Um, And I had a friend and it was a family. It was actually a family of five daughters um, and like a mom and a dad and the sisters, which they already had like marks against them on their scales because they'd never had a son. And having a son is like one of the most honorable things you can do um, like as a wife, providing a son for your husband is like one of the high, not highest, but it's very high up there because you're carrying on the name. Um, Your son can then go forth and you know, carry on the family, like the family lineage, which is a big deal uh, because family means a lot. And so um, they had five girls, which was, you know, they kept trying. And a lot of the times family will try, like they'll continue to try until they get the boy. Uh, And so they they had five and they stopped at five. But um, the eldest, was a practicing Muslim. She, was, she brought a lot of honor to her family. She married a Muslim man and she honored her husband. And then this, the second daughter married a Frenchman and um, was kind of like the black sheep, if we would call her like the black sheep of the family. Uh, and she brought a lot of shame to her dad. Um, the third daughter, uh, her name was Siam, and she uh, was single, she was 28, she lived at home. And when I start saying these things in like American culture, you're like, oh. Oh, no she was 28 and she lived at home that's trouble um, but she was studying classical arabic so that she could read the quran um, for her entire family uh, and that she could read it well and she could bring honor to her father because she saw the mistakes of her sister and then the last two were a set of twins um, and they just they were more raised in like the french culture and so uh, they wanted to honor their dad but they didn't really care um, as much but Siam would do everything to honor her father she would go to the mosque and she would study and, um, and she didn't have a job she wasn't like in terms of like our terms like successful but her father was okay with that because she was trying to balance the scales and try to even out the scales of like her sister's mistakes and um, and he was like yeah and I, and I remember having a conversation with her mother over Ramadan and asking like is do you want her to get a job and she was like oh no her job is bringing honor to our family and repairing our name and I was like oh okay there you have it
0: so you'd said that her job was bringing honor to her father. What, what role or what hope do women have in the Islamic faith?
1: Um, it's really difficult to be a woman in Islam or in an Islamic culture um, because you're kind of like a second-class citizen. And uh, it's really difficult, uh, especially like for us as Americans, we have women's rights and things like that. Um, and that's not necessarily the case depending on the country you're in. And as a woman, your goal and your aim in life is to honor, like if you're not married, is to bring honor to your father. Or if your father has passed away, then your eldest brother, because it's a really big deal to be claimed by someone. And just saying that, as a girl, you're like, you want to be what by someone claimed? Like you already are feeling oppression, and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to own me. Um, but you want to be claimed. Like that is a very big deal. When I lived, um, I so where I lived was like, I lived in the outskirts of Paris, but it was basically like a Moroccan. Um, town because all of my neighbors were Moroccan. Everyone there. It acted, when I actually got to visit Morocco, it was just like Marrakech, like walking around the city. And so I was like, "Oh, I get it." Um, but everyone there was uh, was Muslim, and um, for me, being a single young lady that moved there, uh, within they told me my the people that I worked with they said, "Okay, you need to schedule your parents have to come and visit you." And I was like, "Well, that." That's just not practical right now. And they're like, okay, before your first year is up, your dad or your brother um, has to come visit. And I was like, oh, okay. And, uh, and I worked with families. And so like, there were two men on my team that had uh, wives and children. And um, they claimed me until my dad and my oldest brother could come and visit. And when my dad and my oldest brother came to visit, I had to introduce them to everyone. We literally walked the eight stories of my apartment building and knocked on every door. And I was like, hi, this is my dad and my brother. Um, Because I had to be claimed by someone. Uh, People for the longest time wouldn't accept me or talk to me because I was a single girl like, out you know living life or you know and it was just a very hard concept for me to imagine but for them I was being shameful because I wasn't being claimed by a male and so um it was a very big deal when my dad and brother came to visit they were like the most popular people in the building because they're like oh good she has someone Oh, good. She's honoring her family, um, and so it is a really big deal, uh, it, you know, to ha- to be claimed and to bring honor to your family. But as a, a woman, um, if you don't and you're not doing that and you're not um, trying to bring honor to your husband or to your father or to your oldest brother, you're tipping the scales in the wrong way and you're being shameful. and uh, And it's really hard for girls um, when they get the. Uh, reputation of being shameful to come back from that. And so, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of rights in most places as girls.
0: And so, one of the things that she talked about was was bringing honor, and, or bringing honor to your father and, and wearing that badge proud is a way in which they can do that. So, so saying, I, you know, proudly raising your flag, so to speak, and proudly claiming to be a Muslim is, is a way in which they can do that, a way in which they can bring honor. And one of the things that, that I found very interesting is that in nine different countries, in North Africa, Europe, Middle East, in that area, in nine different countries, it is required that you put your religion on your ID. It's like, imagine going into the DPS and getting your driver's license and the box right below your weight says religion. And they're going to put that on your ID. Like that's one of your main identifying factors is what religion do you uphold? And so to them, proudly saying I am, I'm a Muslim is a way in which they can bring more honor. It's, the label is very important to them. And that even plays out in their day-to-day life. And you, can you speak to that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, so um, on my identification card, I had to become a resident. of uh, of France to live there. And right, it's true, under my thing it said Christian. And a lot of the times, like when I was traveling um, and I was in the Middle East or in North Africa and I would have to show my ID to get back into France, um, is they would look at me and they'd be like, "Mm, Christian, and like feel badly for me uh, because it said that on there. And I, I would get a lot of looks and I was like, oh, cool. Um, which I'm not ashamed of being a Christian, but there it was just like, oh, you've made the wrong choice, and that's like the way that they would look at me, and I'm like the lost like puppy, but um, it's, it, it's, you want it, like you want to have an identification, and you want it to be uh, Muslim in the culture, and it is very important, um, and if you uh, become a Christian, and you like start the process to get that changed, on your identification, it becomes incredibly difficult for you to survive Um, in most places. Not in all areas, but in most places it becomes incredibly difficult. If I were a Muslim and I went and I became a Christian and I applied to get that changed, uh, everyone finds out about it because you have to show your ID for a lot of things. Like think every time you use a debit card or a credit card, you have to show identification. You're showing that card. Um, And if it says Christian on it, a lot of, like some places, they won't allow you to buy things. Um, They won't allow you to work. Like you'll lose your job uh, because you no longer fit with where the company, the direction the business is headed. Um, Or in a lot of cases, like your family will disown you um, because you're shaming your family so much by turning away from. Uh, being a Muslim and turning away from Allah and heading in a different direction. And uh, I was able to meet a man um, who was a believer, he was a Christ follower, but he had, was born a Muslim and was raised Muslim and uh, he had uh, accepted Christ later on in life. And for three years, he didn't tell anyone because he was terrified of what it would cost him. Um, he was burdened by telling his family because he knew uh, that when he told them that the repercussions would be awful. And for three years, he went to the mosque, and he went to prayer time, and he acted like a good Muslim man because he didn't want anyone to know. Um, and he reached a point where he didn't want to deny God any longer, and he wanted to glorify God with everything that he was, and he, he told his parents, and um, they said, get out. We never want to see you again. Leave. Uh, And he wasn't allowed to take anything with him. Um, He got fired from his job. And he was living in a stairwell of an apartment building. Um, And he was starving. And the man that owned the building ended up finding him. And he was a Christian, which is, you know, a godsend for this man. And he was like, come. And he invited him into his home. And, and helped him get on his feet and eventually helped him get to France where he could have a little more freedom of religion. And, um, but he has, he has not been back the last time that I was there and I saw him. He had not seen his family in over a decade. They hadn't talked to him. They didn't want to talk to him. They didn't want to know where he was. They didn't care um, because he had brought so much shame on his father's name. And he had shamed Allah so much that they closed the doors of their life to him. Um, because he chose to follow God.
0: And you can see how the honor and shame idea is so deeply seated in Islam. Everything they do, whether it's on their ID or whether it's their, their actions on a day-to-day basis or the age in which you're expected to move out of your house, everything they do goes back to bringing the most honor to Allah. And for for a Muslim, this is is a label that they wear proudly. This is a label that they say, yes, this is something that that I want to be identified because it's going to bring the most honor to Allah. But for every single one of the religions that that we've talked about throughout this series, we as Americans look at them and then we label them as that. We might look at the Jewish person and, and see the Yarmulke or the, the Star of David necklace, and we might say, oh, you know, that person's Jewish. Or we might look at, at, at the Muslim and we might see the, the headdress and say, oh, yeah, they're, they're totally a Muslim. And we might we might look at the, the atheist and see someone who's who's very intellectual and someone who who everything they do is about logic and about seeing the truth that's in science and we, we might just automatically identify them as yep that's an atheist and you know we can look at all of these different religions and these different people we can we might see a Mormon we might see somebody riding a bicycle down the street who's coming to knock on our door and we like lock the door and we're like get away from me we don't want to talk to you and, and we we just label them as that and we think. You know, that person is chasing after a lie. They're chasing after something that, that brings them no hope. The Muslim, they chase after bringing honor to Allah, but, but with no promise in return. Their entire religion is based upon, well, maybe one day Allah will say, yeah, you've done enough, you can come in. But They have no knowing, they have no assurance. Each one of these people represents a different group, a different religion that we've covered. But we look at them and we label them as this. When in all reality throughout this entire series, we haven't been giving you this knowledge so that you can beat up people of a different religion. If that's what you've gotten out of this, then you've missed the point. Because our goal is not to equip you to belittle others. Our goal is to equip you To share Jesus with others. And through all of this, we've we've given you this information, we've given you this knowledge so that you can better understand that there's really only two groups. There's not all these different religions, there's only two groups. Those that need Jesus and those that have Jesus. And that's true of all of mankind. That's true of everyone. We can see in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2, where it says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in in which you once walked. It goes on to to talk about following the ways of of the world and and different things like that, but it says, you were dead in the sins in in which you once walked. It doesn't say, you know, Christians before they came to know Jesus were dead in the sins in which they once walked. It doesn't say Muslims are dead in the sins in in which they they walk. It doesn't specify based on the belief system that you hold. This is written to Christians saying, you were once dead. There is dead in those who need Jesus, and alive in those who have Jesus. We see in Genesis chapter 1, we go back, and, and we can see how God created man, and He said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. It wasn't, let us create those who will one day become Christians in our image. Those who will one day know Jesus in our image. It was, let us create man, all of mankind. There was no separation. Let us create man in our image. There are those who need Jesus and those who have Jesus. Now we can go back and look at the labels but but it all boils down to do you still need Jesus or do you have him? There was one label up there that was a religion that we didn't cover. It was Christian and it had quotes around it because for some of us We've been going to church our whole lives. We didn't grow up Muslim. We didn't grow up Buddhist or, or Hindu. We, we grew up going to church. We grew up hearing the truth of God's word. We grew up knowing all the right answers. We were that kid who got the most you know, stars for answering the word Jesus correctly in Sunday school. But we never got Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then you don't know hope. Because each of these religions, they're trying to earn something, they're trying to do enough right so that one day they may make it in. One day they may reach nirvana. They might do enough. And that's not hope. Whereas with Jesus, we can know. We can say, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, I'm with Jesus. You can know. Do you need Jesus or do you have Jesus? Go ahead and bow your heads. And I know for some of you in this room, you're saying, Dylan, I've heard this before. I know who Jesus is. That's not my question. The question is not, do you know who he is? My question is, do you know him? Do you have that intimate relationship with him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Because you can know all about him and you can miss it. You can know everything that the Bible says and still not know Jesus. And if that's you, I wanna give you an opportunity to begin that relationship with him. To begin to, to spend time with him and to begin to get to know him more. And if that's you and if you need to start that relationship, maybe, maybe you've prayed a prayer like this before but you missed it. Maybe you've walked an aisle, maybe you've gotten baptized but maybe you missed it. And if that's you, if you need to start that relationship, just pray this prayer. The words aren't magical. Just pray this prayer. Say, God, God, I need you. I've spent my life trying to be enough, trying to earn a relationship with you, trying trying my hardest to get in. But God, I know that I can't do that. So Lord, I give you my future. I give you my life. Lord, I accept the, the, the gift of Jesus. I accept that relationship, Lord. Help me to move forward in relationship with you.